Welcome to the College Investor Audio Show, where we talk about the biggest issues impacting millennial money, from student loan debt to side hustles to building wealth. We will show you how to get out of debt so that you can build real wealth for the future. Hello and welcome to the show. Today we take a look at how to invest in the S&P 500 index fund. Let's do it. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. A credit union that offers Bitcoin? Give me five. For a limited time only, get $5 of free Bitcoin through the Southland Credit Union app. Enrollment is quick and easy. There's no hidden fees and you can conveniently fund Bitcoin purchases directly from a Southland account. Claim your free Bitcoin today by going to thecollegeinvestor.com slash Southland. Bitcoin accounts and services provided by NIDIG. Not NCUA insured. Restrictions apply to Bitcoin bonus. See terms. And don't forget to check out thecollegeinvestor.com slash Southland to sign up. So since 1957, the S&P 500 has been the benchmark of the American economy. The index, which tracks the valuations of approximately 500 of the largest U.S.-based companies, is so well-respected that it is used as an economic indicator in the Conference Board Leading Economic Index. When it was first founded, the S&P 500 had little practical use. <laughs> it served as a bellwether for the stock market and provided a glance into the inner workings of the economy. The impracticality of the index changed in 1975 when Jack Bogle popularized the Index Fund. Bogle, the founder of Vanguard, marketed the first publicly available index fund that passively tracks the S&P 500. To this day, many index fund investors own S&P 500 index funds because they tend to be low-cost and representative of a large segment of the stock market. What is the S&P 500? So the S&P 500 is commonly thought of as an index fund that tracks the performance of the 500 largest companies in the U.S., as we talked about earlier. But when people talk about the U.S. stock market, they often talk about the performance of the S&P 500 as a proxy for the overall market's performance. The criteria for selecting the approximately 500 companies on the S&P 500 list isn't exclusively about the size of the companies. Companies on the list are chosen by a committee at S&P Global Ratings, and they must meet certain financial criteria, and the index as a whole must represent major economic sectors in the United States. The S&P 500 index assigns each company a weighting according to its value in the market. Apple, or APPL, currently has a value called a market capitalization of $2.77 trillion. Its weight in the index is more than 6%, as of this podcast, the smallest company in the S&P 500 is Embecta, EMBC, which has a market cap of 1.66 billion bucks. Its weight is 0.0005% of the index. The S&P 500 is considered a self-cleaning index. When a company's market capitalization falls too low, the company drops out of the index. It's replaced by a company with a higher capitalization. How to buy an S&P 500 fund. So before you can buy an S&P 500 index fund, you'll need to open an investment account, of course. Opening an investment account may sound like it's a little intimidating, but it's pretty straightforward, really. If your employer offers an employer-sponsored retirement investment account, you can just open an account through work. Highly recommend you do this. If you don't have a retirement plan at work, 
you'll need to select a brokerage and open an account. Deciding what type of account may be the hardest part of the process. A regular brokerage account is just fine to get started. However, there are tax advantages to investing through a retirement account, if you're eligible. Once you have an account, buying the S&P 500 is just one trade away. Most brokerages allow you to fund your account with a direct transfer from your bank account. Once the money settles in the investment account, you can place a trade order for your S&P 500 fund. You can buy either an ETF or a mutual fund. I find that it's kind of easier to buy shares of an ETF because the trade settles very quickly, so I can be sure the trade completes. Other people might prefer to buy mutual funds. After your trade settles, you are the owner of shares of the S&P 500. You may want to set up an automated investment plan so you can just continue to buy more shares. Is the S&P 500 the best index fund? This is a big question. Now, the S&P 500 is an important index. Over the past 36 years, large-cap stocks tied emerging markets as the top-performing asset class. In the past 10 years, large-cap stocks have consistently performed very well until the most recent bear market. <laughs> While the S&P 500 has been a driver of portfolio growth recently, it's not necessarily the best index fund. It has wild swings, to say the least, and has had some years with double-digit negative growth. Due to the volatility, most investors will want to diversify beyond a single index fund. It's common for investors to own small cap funds, international funds, and some alternative investments like real estate, precious metals, or other alternative assets. Think crypto as well. Some investors may opt for top or total market indexes rather in lieu of S&P 500 funds. Total market indices track all publicly traded companies rather than just the largest companies. Investing in multiple indexes gives investors, of course, diversity in their asset allocation. A diverse portfolio may smooth out investment returns, even increase returns, or both. The S&P 500 is a good place to start, but you're gonna want a few more funds to round out your portfolio. So to illustrate the importance of investing in multiple asset classes, Author Ben Carlson keeps an updated asset allocation performance chart that looks like a quilt. Large-cap domestic stocks topped the quilt in just two out of the 10 years shown on the chart that he put together. However, other years saw emerging markets, small caps, REITs, and even cash top the list. You can find that chart at thecollegeinvestor.com, and I'll tell you more about that in just a bit. Pros and cons of investing in the S&P 500. Three pros. It's a self-cleaning index like we talked about. Typically has very low expense ratios. And there's no need to pick individual stocks, which is really nice. There are a couple cons, though. It does not offer exposure to small cap or international stocks. And it can overweight the fund towards the most expensive stocks. Some final takeaways for you. Historically, large-cap stocks in the United States have produced excellent returns for investors. An S&P fund is an excellent, low-cost way to capture the gains of this asset class. While you'll never beat the market with an S&P 500 fund, you can match the returns with minimal effort. Just remember, the S&P 500 doesn't constitute a comprehensive portfolio. You're going to want to incorporate other asset classes as you have the funds to do so. But it's a really good place to start. And that's kind of the most important thing right now. Just get started investing for your future.
And that is our show for today. Thanks so much for stopping by. We're so honored that you took the time to listen. If you found this helpful, you think it could help somebody else, please feel free to share this podcast with someone and follow us on social media. We're everywhere. We'd love to get to know you and help you along in your investing journey. And there's tons more stuff to find out about too at thecollegeinvestor.com. You can dig in deeper into the S&P 500 index. We have all kinds of cool resources and charts and stuff you can look at. Again, it's thecollegeinvestor.com. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you again real soon.